Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, I woke up this morning, and I, I want you to help me out a little bit. There's this white stuff on all the houses. Can anybody tell me what that is? or What is that? Somebody said grapple. It's snow. How many are ready for winter? You're just like, I'm really looking forward to winter. How many of you just punch the person next to you that raised their hand, right? Um, hey, this is our last... Uh, uh, last message on the, the series of Fan or Follower, and I'm really excited about this message today. I'm hoping just to tie everything up today, and, and, I, and my prayer is that um, the Lord really showed you a lot. Those that you did your uh, journals and were reading the book, my prayer is that the Lord really showed you and defined for you the relationship that he desires for you and, and maybe took some roadblocks out of the way for your life of really having a relationship with Jesus and what it, what it really means to, to follow him with your, with your whole life. And, and so I'm hoping that today uh, will catapult you into that uh, new relationship with Jesus and, and a closer relationship with him that will be with you for the rest of your lives. Um, I, just, I just want to give you a quiz this morning. I've got a couple things that I want you to look at this morning. And you tell me uh, what they are, because what I want to show you is some company's logos And I'm going to show you what their logos are or their slogans, and you try to tell me what they are. Let's look at the first one. What is this? Okay, Nike. Okay, that was really, really easy. Okay, so they're going to get a little bit harder. Let let me give you, before I jump to the next one, let me give you a couple slogans, and you try to guess what they are. Ready? Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M&Ms. Okay. Uh, Get a little bit harder. The ultimate driving machine. BMW, okay, see, it got a little less, okay. Um, you're in good hands with? Also, okay, a lot of you got that. Okay, ready here, let's, let's go to the next logo. Okay, that was like, even if you didn't know what that was, come on. Even if you didn't know what that was, okay. Uh, Apple, okay, ready, let's, let's go to the next one. Michelin Man, isn't he cute? Michelin Man, Michelin Man, the Pillsbury Doughboy, they, they're cute. Okay, now, now I don't want you, to, I don't want you to, to yell it out. I want you to raise your hand because I have a prize for the person that can guess the next one. So don't, don't, don't yell it out. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, ready? Give me the next one and I will pick you. Are you ready? All right. Who knows what that one is? Raise your hand. Joshy, what is it? Josh, Josh. Good job. <laughs> Josh, melts in your mouth, not in your... Josh broke his leg playing soccer, so I had to come to Josh. Keep Josh in your prayers. Okay. It was Delta. Come on, Josh got it. Josh is like 12 years... I know, Josh is old now, okay? Even Josh got it. Okay. All right. Here's... Okay, I'm, this, this gets harder, okay? Uh, one more prize to give out. Okay, raise your hand. Don't, don't yell it out. You ready? You yelled it out. You're supposed to raise your... All right, I'll give it... There's always one in every crowd. It's always the worship leader's brother that always gets in trouble. There you go, Dave. Let's get Dave a hand. All right. Dave Sprague. All right. Okay. So, uh, now, let me just give you a couple more here. Anybody know what this one is? Puma. Okay, all the young kids know what that is, especially if you're a Ricky Fowler golf fan. Uh, and then I'll give you one more. Okay. Target, right? Good. 
That's where I'm going to be buried in the front of Target, so my wife will visit me every day when I die. Okay, so. All right, so. Now, here, here it is about companies. We know companies, they're brilliant. They're mar- they got all of us. Their marketing strategy is brilliant because companies want you to remember their slogan or better yet, their logo. They, they want this to get into your psyche, into your brain. They, they want the logo to be recognized. The Nike swoosh can be really recognized around the world. And uh, have you ever had a company's jingle just get stuck in your head and you find yourself singing it? Okay, so I'm going to ruin your day again, and I'm going to stick this jingle into your head. So like three o'clock this afternoon, you'll think of it, and then you'll think of me, and then you'll say, I hate Pastor Barton. Okay, you ready? Remember this one? Like a good neighbor. Okay, you guys are going to be singing that all day now. Okay, so it was funny. The, it's funny how like a song can get stuck in your head. It was hilarious. One day I was eating lunch at, at Moe's, and I, I went up to get my drink, and there's these two 20-year-old guys there. I mean, they, definitely they were in their 20s. And, and one of the guys was singing the theme song from the movie Frozen. So if you have, any of you have daughters under the age or grandkids under the age of 10, you know what this movie is. And how many remember the theme song, the song from Frozen? It's called Let It Go. Let it go, right? He was singing it. The one 20-year-old guy and his friend, I'll never a friend, looks at him and goes, what's wrong with you? I, I literally laughed out loud. I, I laughed out loud. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the purpose of companies doing this is they want the product, they want their product to stand out. They, they want it to be recognized. They want their product to be appealing. They, they want these uh, products to bring fulfillment, pleasure, and satisfaction. They want their product to make you feel different, to feel better. Drive this car and feel this way. It's about a feeling appealing to your emotions and they want their symbol to represent their product in a good light. The bottom line is they want you as a customer. They want to attract you, not appall you. They don't want to turn you away. They actually want to pull you in. They want you to be a customer for life. Now, if we were to identify the symbol for the follower of Christ, what would that be? I got it for you up here, I think. There, the cross, just the cross. We have it here in our church, the cross. Now, what does the cross symbolize? Well, it's not so pretty. It's not so appealing when you think about it, uh, for what it represents and what it stood out for, especially in the first century. In fact, um, this is what Jesus says about the cross and about believers, about our symbol and, 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 and what we recognize ourselves to. And in Luke 9, 23 through 26, this has been the basis for our whole series. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, right? And daily follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but yet loses or forfeits himself or his soul? So when we look at the first century and we look at the cross, the cross symbolized execution. It symbolized death. Rome 
would want to bring fear into people. And so they would use this source of torture, this, this death sentence on people to bring fear into people that they would fall into line to, to Rome and would not uh, come against them. And so I, I just want to give you a couple things that the cross symbolizes. The cross is a symbol of humiliation. In fact, at any one time, there could be as many as 2,000 people being crucified at the same time in Palestine. 2,000. All over, people would see these men hanging on this cross of execution. See, in the first century, it was a sign of humiliation. Rome wanted to make a statement that they were in power, hanging naked, open to public humiliation. This is what they wanted to get across. When you saw the cross, you knew it was humiliation. You knew it was a death sentence. And so the second thing I want you to see about the cross is that the cross was a symbol of suffering. It's a symbol of suffering. The cross was basically a beam that was two pieces were put together. And the cross beam would weigh as much as 125 pounds. And this would rub against the open wounds after from being flogged. The person was made to carry uh, this cross on their shoulder, not to mention having the nails driven into your hands and feet. You could not carry the cross without pain. So, so the cross symbolized suffering. And for that person, that criminal that was, that was dying on the cross, they would have to carry their own cross kind of see the parallel now that's working here where Jesus says, take up your own cross. Now, we're going to get to there in a minute because this wouldn't make any sense to someone living in the first century. The third thing I want you to see about the cross is that the cross was a symbol of death. This was the end. This is the end of your life. This wasn't a symbol of life. This was a symbol of, of, of death. And what Jesus does is he takes this symbol of humiliation, suffering, and death, and now he tells his followers... If you're going to follow me, take up this thing. Now, for the person who is listening to Jesus, they don't have full understanding yet because Jesus still hasn't gone to the cross, not really explaining what it means. For you and I living in 2015, we can look back and we understand because it's been explained to us through the word of God. But for those living at that time, this would be very hard to understand because this is what they're getting from the cross, humiliation, suffering, and death. But Jesus says to take up this very thing and daily follow me. You see, the reality is following Christ will at times mean humiliation, suffering, and dying to myself. And this is where we need to be careful if we do call ourselves followers. Because Jesus said, the follower of me is going to take up this very thing. And so we need to come to the realization that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we understand that it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. We're not always going to get our way. In fact, we're going to lose our rights in order to truly follow him. Jesus never told us it would be easy, but he did tell us that he would be with us. And here is the ironic thing about this message because it seems so hard. It seems so lifeless. It seems like it's pointless. But John 16, 33, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, I've told you 
all these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, tribulations. But he said, but take heart. I have overcome what? The world. That it's actually going to be through this thing of humiliation, suffering, and death that you're actually going to find life, that you're going to find peace. Makes no sense. But God is going to use this thing that makes no sense, and he's going to use it for his glory. And so many times we look at our lives and we think, my life makes no sense. The things that have happened, the bad choices I make, how can God use it for his glory? The amazing thing is he does. Amen? He does. He takes the very thing that, that, that the world would think is useless and has no meaning and no purpose. And God says, I'm going to use this thing right here to show my power, to show that I can change life, that I can take something that is so dreadful and so repugnant, and I'm going to use it for my power and my glory. See, what Jesus doesn't do for us, he doesn't give us the bait and switch. Bait us with something good, and then in reality, it's not really what it claimed to be, right? He, he, he never claimed that everything would be perfect in our life. Um, it was funny, I, 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 I get a sense of this um, when you buy a house or a car. Now, Back in the day before you had the internet and you could look at all the pictures of the car, you just had like the paper to read. And how many know that um, you, you usually word something to make it look really good, right? And so you kind of, you, you, you do kind of word gymnastics. You take a lot of liberty with the words to make it look better than it is. In fact, there's an actual website that you can go to that actually shows you what the hotel really looks like. And what the resort really looks like, not these perfect pictures that they put online. Some of you may have gotten burned by that one time or another where they show you something that really wasn't like it was on the internet, right? So here's, let me give you a demonstration. Here's an example. Here's a true description of a car that was for sale. True description. It says this. Here's a true picture of it. It says, this car runs okay. The tires are pretty new, but that's about it. It has no radio. The acceleration is slug, sluggish. The clutch is sticky. The back hood door latch doesn't work. You must prop it up with a stick. The gas mileage is no better than 10 to 15 miles per gallon. In general, it's an American car made during the time when American cars were built very poorly. The price is 500 uh, quoted above. Is it, It's just that because all my friends tell me that a running car must be worth at least 500 I suppose I'll bargain with you to a lower price. Okay. Now this is what was in the paper with nearly new tires. This car really holds the road. Well, the empty space is available, allowing you to put the stereo system of your choice with acceleration like this. You won't have to worry about getting pulled over. A special stick is included at no additional cost that conveniently props up the back hood. When, when you buy this American-made car, you'll be supporting our country and the freedom we enjoy will sacrifice for $499.99. Now, can I get an amen, right? It's a good word to know. Now, See, what Jesus doesn't do, Jesus doesn't do that. He's truthful with us. He doesn't, 
he, he, he tells us to actually count the cost. And, 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 and I can remember, uh, you know, we, I, I, I want you to understand as we remember this, we, we usually go back to things that we might say in our lives. Like, like we all have the phrase that we use often, like we'll say the phrase, you know, I'm just bearing my cross or it's my cross to bear without really, really understanding what that means. We use it maybe when we're faced with difficult situations or something that's against our will. But when Jesus says we must take up our cross, here's what he's saying. Listen to me very, very closely here. Because what we end up doing is we look at this taking up our cross as something like, oh, gosh, this is something I got to do. You know, I got to carry my cross. You know, it's another cross to bear. Like, what else is going to happen in my life? Right? We all get that way. We we all, are you with me this morning? Are you, we all get that. We all get in our little pity parties, right? And you're the only one that goes to the party, right? Because nobody else is going to join you, Right? You know, and then people do this because it's the world's smallest violin, right? So, you know, we're, we're, we're all there. We, we, you know, we can get complaining and so on and so forth. But he, listen to me really carefully here. When Jesus says that we must take up our cross, it is never forced upon us. It's something that we take up. It's a choice that we make. Listen to me closely, everybody. That's a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus willingly says, God, I will do your will. I will take up my cross. I will do your will and I will follow you daily. See, Jesus made the choice to take up the cross for us. It wasn't forced upon him. He chose it. Listen to John 10. Listen to his words here in John 10, 17 through 18. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it, what? Voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down and when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Jesus knew laying down his life meant forgiveness for every single one of us here today. You see, here's here's the hope. Jesus' death meant life, and when we die to ourselves, we actually find life. So when we willingly take up our cross, when we willingly take up the will of God in our lives, what we're actually doing is we're actually gaining our lives back again. It's a choice we make to follow him. It's the joy we have to follow him. It's the privilege that we have to follow him because of what he has done for us. So taking up our cross means basically the exact same thing as it did in the first century. It means humility, which means this. If I take up my cross, I willingly make the choice to walk in humility. I willingly make the choice of saying, I'm not always going to get my way. That I'm going to walk in humility in this situation. That, that, that I may get stepped on once in a while, but for the sake of God and for the sake of taking on my cross, I'm not always going to get my way. It does mean humility. When I take up my cross, it does mean suffering. It means that I must suffer well. Not everything is going to go my way. I'm not always going to get my way and not, every, not everything's going to go my way. 
And the symbol of the cross in the first century meant dying. It means the same for you and I days. We take up our cross. I must die to my selfish desires. I must die to my way. So it's, it's, it's about making the choice of not necessarily getting my way all the time, not necessarily things going my way all the time, and that I must die to my way. So here's the good news. The good news in all this is what Jesus tells us. He says in Luke 9, 24, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will actually save it. And so by us following Christ and laying our lives down at his feet and willingly take up humility, suffering, and dying, what we're saying is we're actually gaining our life. We show gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And it's a willingness to say, Jesus, whatever you have for me, I'm going to do for you. Now, the, the question is, how does this look in my life? How do, how do I follow this? How, do I, um, how does this look in my life practically each and every day? What, what, does, what does humility look like? What does suffering look like? What does dying to myself actually look like? How does this look in my every day life. Well, here's basically what it looks like. It's looking for ways to put yourself second. It, it's saying things like this. I know for me, because this is where, you know, where you just, you just got to be first and get first in line and blah, 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 blah. It's like this, letting someone cut in front of you at tops or Wagmans. It's always thinking that, like, God, how can I put myself second? Um, it's holding the door open for people. It's, it's, and I saw this one and I thought it was great. I was at the Atlanta airport and there was two army personnel there and the gentleman behind them paid for their dinner. They're waiting in line at Chick-fil-A. I thought that was cool. It's, it's serving in places where people don't necessarily like to serve, like in the nursery. Can I get an amen? I just heard an amen from Aaron Genge somewhere in the world. It's, it's, it's buying a meal for harvest feasts. It's, 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 it's giving up maybe some of my Christmas gifts to give to Angel Tree this year. Um, it's giving to a child who actually has a parent that's incarcerated, that's in jail. It's, it's taking that gift out and, and carving out my Saturday to take gifts to those kids to their homes. Maybe it's going on a missions trip. Maybe it's going to Panama next year. See, dying to yourself means seeing all the dishes in the sink, men, and you do them for your wife. Dying to yourself means that I give someone else the credit, encouraging someone else for something that they've done. You see, what I've done is, I've titled this message, The Confession of a Fan Turned Follower. And I want to share this with you because this is an area of my life that I really struggle with. Let me explain to you why I mean that. As a kid, I really struggled with selfishness. And I still struggle with it at times. See, I wanted things my way. I wanted to be first. And as a young teen, I would just do things that would always benefit me. Like I can remember one time I was 12 years old and we went to Disney World and I would cut in line. I would find ways to cut the long lines. Man, I was really creative too. I mean, I would hop over fences and just to, just to not have to wait in line. Just selfishness. Um, I always had to have the biggest ice cream cone. Always the biggest and the best. I, I invented supersize me. I invented that. Supersize it, right? You see, 
and I grew up in church, but, but I was only a fan. It didn't really, you know, Jesus just kind of fit my agenda. I didn't really fit his. And I didn't give much thought to Jesus outside of church, maybe on Sunday. Let's see, when I came to Christ, Jesus broke me. And he broke me of all my selfishness, and he's still breaking me of my selfishness today. I can remember um, not long ago, maybe it was some years back, and I remember the Bible that my parents first gave me when I was saved, and it was just this red, hardcover NIV Bible, and and my parents put all the tabs in it so you could quickly go to the book that you wanted to. And it was really, it really beat up just from reading it. And, and so um, I hadn't used it in a while, but it was in my bookshelf. And I remember just opening it going, oh, you know, you just kind of go through it and look at the places that you underlined and things that were important to you when you were a new Christian. It was really kind of cool. And the little notes that, that I wrote in it. And, and I can remember in, in one of the pages was um, a check stub from Wendy's fast food restaurant from 1983. I'm like, whoa. So I'm looking through and I'm like, wow, I made $3.05 an hour working at Wendy's in 1983. I, I was loaded, man. I was rich. And I can remember, I noticed some scribbling, some writing on the side of the check. And um, it was the tithe. But I was going to give to the Lord that week. And then it brought me back to remembering when I first heard about giving to the Lord and about that everything is God's. And it brought me back to that memory of of being 16 years old when I was first saved of a pastor teaching on your check isn't yours, it's the Lord's. And that really hit me hard because that broke right into my little selfish world. Like this this whole $30 is mine, Woo, you know, on top of the world with my $30. I remember the Lord speaking to me, this isn't your check, this is mine. And so I did the math and I wrote out what the tithe was going to be, you know, big, you know, $3.08, whatever it was. But I remember when that, that's when the Lord really began to speak into my heart that everything is his and not mine. I started to deal with my, deal with my selfishness, deal with my selfishness. You see, what began to happen was something really weird. Jesus showed me that, that a life that gives is a joyful life. It's a life that learns to take the struggles and the pains and allows Christ to work through them. And what is so ironic is when we lay our lives down, we find joy and contentment again. I love this saying by C.S. Lewis, and, and, I, and I believe this is a great example of what a true follower is, and I believe this is what it all comes down to. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, Christ says this, Give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill a tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. See, at the end of the day, Jesus wants all of you. That's what it means to be a follower. I love this quote by Corey Ten Boone. If you've never read the book Hiding Place, I highly recommend it. Corey Ten Boone uh, was in a concentration camp. 
her family were Dutch that lived in the Netherlands during World War II, during Nazi occupation of the Netherlands, and their family hid Jews from being executed in the concentration camps. And she survived through it amazingly and shared her testimony until her death in the 80s. And she was just an amazing woman. And one of these quotes that she says just goes right to my heart. And she said this. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you haven't made that commitment to truly follow Jesus. You say, you know, Pastor, I'm still a fan. But let me just say this to you. Jesus wants you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you. And let me just tell you the joy that comes in full surrender. You will never be happy if you partially surrender to Christ. A true follower says, I willingly lay my life down. I willingly take up my cross. I willingly accept these things. And the result from that is joy and peace that the Lord will give you in your life. And maybe for some of you here today, maybe the reason why there's a struggle in your life or animosity is because there hasn't been a full surrender of your life to Jesus yet. And Jesus says, come and surrender to me completely and allow me to give the joy and the peace that you're looking for in your life because if you serve me half-heartedly, you will never find it. That's the kind of followers Jesus is looking for. I heard, uh, I overheard um, someone just share um, what this series meant to them and what the Lord spoke to their hearts. And um, what we did was we uh, interviewed a couple people on, uh, on what Christ did for them during this series. And uh, we did a video interview with them. And uh, just as we close the message today, and I want to show you these two videos, and I want to pray with you today as a church that God would just grip your heart. So um, go ahead and look up at the screens of these two testimonies today of what God has done through this series, Fan or Follower. fairly new to the church, so I would say I was definitely closer to a fan. At the start of the class, I thought that I was a follower. I grew up going to church every Sunday with my family, but it felt like more of an event or a spectacle that we went to rather than something I could actually relate to and apply to my life. But I'm realizing now that I'm definitely more of a fan. A lot of my time in my daily life was used up in a very mundane way, just living life day to day. I was fortunate enough to be in a group uh, of all ages, so it was very interesting to see the different perspectives that each of them had pursuing Christ through their life and the challenges that they had to go through. And I really saw a lot of those challenges myself that I face every day. I had to make a decision. I couldn't just go on anymore. Rather than look at Jesus' teachings as just some idealistic example to think about, I have learned to look at them as more of something I could actually apply to myself on a day-to-day -day basis in every action that I do instead of 
just the more significant ones. It just really helped me focus on the fact that I can't just continue to be a fan. If I want to be a follower, I have to make some changes to really become a follower and, and live like I'm a follower and not just a fan. Well, I recently started reading the Bible. This is the first time I've really went through the Bible and I'm almost through Matthew. I have four little boys at home and they tend to drive me absolutely crazy. I used to kind of freak out on them when they upset me or make me angry. I've been quite surprised at how I can actually relate to everything that they're talking about. Christ does not freak out on me when I'm being just a fan. What he's looking for is a heart change in me, so that's kind of what I look for in the boys and I just kind of let things go a little bit until they come around. I feel like Every single time I pick that book up, I learn something new that I can use the very next day, and I'm just amazed at that. Although I'm still a fan, I would definitely say I'm a lot closer to being a follower. I definitely think I'm moving from fan into follower. It's just really amazing and astounding to see the challenges that people go through while still maintaining following and not giving up on their path. If someone talked to me about maybe witnessing to somebody else and bringing them to Christ, how we don't always bring them from point A to point Z. It's sometimes just point A to point B or point A to point R. From family not supporting you to just your interests clashing with God, just giving up those things so you can really follow Him. Fully. I just really admire that in a lot of people. And it's kind of the same way with fan or follower. We don't have to be a fan or an amazing follower. There's an in-between where we're just always growing to be that follower. And that's where I feel like I'm at. I'm learning a lot more about Jesus and his teachings. I feel like those teachings can really guide me to the proper response. And that is something I definitely want to follow. Amen. I want to pray for you guys this morning. And, um, you know, I think if I could leave you with anything over, the, over these six weeks is that um, Christ is looking for a heart that is willing to lay everything down. That, that says, Jesus, I'm going to come to you not because um, you've got me in a headlock and, and, and there's this big guilt and condemnation that you're placing over my head or that... You know, I'm, uh, I just need fire insurance from hell because I'm so worried, uh, uh, you know, about going to hell. Um, what Jesus wants you to see this morning is that when he calls, he calls us to come and die. He does. He tells us to die to ourselves. And he wants all of you. He wants to know you uh, intimately. He wants to have a personal relationship with you, one that's not based in rules and regulations like we talked about last week, one that's not, not based in a bunch of religious codes um, and a bunch of things that you have to do and a bunch of hoops that you have to jump through. Jesus wants you. And, and when we look at the cross and we realize what Christ went through to reach us, what begins to happen in my heart and life is that I begin to, to see the love and and. Um, the sacrifice that Jesus went through to, to, to make a broken relationship because of our sin, to make it right again through his perfect sacrifice on the cross. And through his resurrection, we realize there's life and there's hope and that Christ is who he says he is, that he is God, that he is Lord, 
that he has come to restore a broken relationship because of our sin and because of our rebellion. And so he wants us to look at our relationship with him as one of gratitude and thankfulness for what he's done for us. And when you serve him that way, it will be joyful. You're going to have a love for, for God's uh, word that you're going to look at the situations in your life and the difficult things that you may go through in your life. Not that they're easy, but you know that Christ is going to be with you and you know that he loves you and he's going to guide you and protect you through uh, the difficult things in life and through the suffering in life. And as a follower of Christ, we're going to say, Jesus, here, here, here it is. You said that in this world is going to be troubles and trials and trips. Well, here it is and I'm going through it. But my hope is in you because I've given you my life. And you said that you would never leave me or forsake me. That nothing can separate me from your wonderful love. That's the hope we have in being followers of Jesus. So my prayer for you is that you would become a follower of Jesus. That you would know him every single day. That you would grow in that relationship that no matter how long that you've been serving him or how short you may have been serving him in the length of time, that you would say that there's always something new to know about Jesus. And there's a new trial and there's a new thing that I may have to go through, but, but through those things, God is going to deepen my faith and my trust in him and that he uses those for his purposes and his glory and that he can use me for his glory. So let me pray for you this morning. I just want you to bow your heads with me as we just dedicate our hearts to, to the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, every single one of us in this room, we all have struggles. Lord, maybe there's something that is in our life that is keeping us from knowing you fully. Maybe there's something that we have to die to today. there's something that we have to lay at your feet today. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's selfishness. Whatever it may be, God, that's keeping us from trusting you fully. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's our past. Maybe it's guilt. Lord, we lay that thing at your feet today. And we willingly take up our cross and we say, Jesus, we want to follow you. And so, Lord, I just pray for every person in this place today that you would just do a deeper work in their hearts. That they would know that you want us. That you love us. That you want to know us. That you've prepared eternity for everyone who's put their trust in you. And so we thank you for that. Help us to serve you with gratitude and thankfulness. And Lord, even when a situation comes that, Lord, just is going to be hard and it, it just seems so difficult, I pray that we would go back to your words in Luke and that we would say, Jesus, you told us that if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross willingly and follow me daily. It may not be easy. It may be a struggle, but we're not going to walk alone. You're going to walk with us. And you're going to give us your grace. That even in our weakness, you will be strong. That your grace will be sufficient for us to help us to get through. Realizing that our faith is growing and that we're growing closer to you 
even in spite of the trial and the suffering. So we thank you for that. So we love you and we praise you. And I pray that we would just be Jesus lovers in this room. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness, Jesus, for receiving us and not turning us away, even in all our dumb mistakes that we've made. Thank you for not turning us away. Thank you for receiving us. Thank you for coming. And I pray you touch every single one of our hearts. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. In Jesus' wonderful name.